0: everyone thank you for listening to the final third we have a great show for you today we talk all about mls kits how boring they are how cool they are and we also talk about the inconsistency that's plaguing european teams what's causing it what we can do and how coronavirus plays into all of that follow us on twitter at final third show it should be down in the show notes and yeah enjoy the show Hello, welcome back to another Thursday Deep Dive episode of The Final Third. My name's AJ Tabura. I'm joined by Jack. Jack, how are you doing on this lovely Tuesday evening?
1: Well, I'm feeling great, especially after watching one of my favorite players for my favorite national team, Kylian Mbappe, score a hat trick in a Champions League knockout round against Barcelona. So that was a pretty exciting way to, uh, you know, kind of, Cap off the afternoon today.
0: Yes, it was an exciting match. He is doing horrible things to that Barcelona backline, and I think it's going to continue in the next two weeks whenever they meet up again. That's really exciting. And we're we're gonna be talking about Barcelona a little bit later in the episode as we talk about their inconsistency. But before all of that, guys, as always, follow us on Twitter at final third show we're getting a lot of followers we're getting a lot of engagement on there so you know join in on the conversation it's been a lot of fun talking to everyone there as well as you know follow us on whatever streaming platform you listen to us on give us a rating if it's apple podcasts uh turn on the notification so you're always notified whenever there's a new episode we've been growing at honestly scary rates like it's it's kind of spooky how much we've been we've been growing so you know, j- join in, join in on yeah, you know, I'll say it, the fastest growing soccer podcast <laughs> on 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 the internet. So yeah, join on the bandwagon. But today we have an amazing show for you. Today we talk about the MLS kits. There's been a lot of leaks, as well as the inconsistency that's been plaguing European teams. Jack, how are you feeling about this episode? Are you excited?
1: Yeah, I'm excited, especially because uh, if we're talking about inconsistency, it probably means I get to dunk on both Tottenham and Liverpool, which is always a great day for me.
0: Yes, that is. Honestly, every day we can do that is a day worth cherishing. Okay, let's get right into the US-centric story. The big story that we're going to talk about today is why are MLS Kits so boring like what's causing them to be kind of plain and is that a problem and if so what are those problems and the first question of course is a question of do either of us actually think that these MLS kits are boring because we're seeing a lot of fans talk about how MLS kits in the past couple of years have been not exactly inspiring to say the least so Jack I'm gonna leave this to you Jack, what are your opinions on the recent MLS kits? Well, I've, I've got to say, I, I, I'm, I have a soft spot for some of them.
1: I, my favorite jersey that I own is my um, Minnesota United 2018 to 19, uh, or 1920, I think is more proper. Uh, their second kit, and it's all white. It just has some blue stripes on the side, and it's one of my favorites because. Uh, the first game I saw was them playing in that kit, so I I was a big fan of that. But I also think that even though they do seem bland at times, I don't think that's much of a problem, and I think it can be in some ways for MLS a, more of
0: a strength than it might be con- than common knowledge might say. Okay, nerd. Well, no, I mean th- that's your opinion, and that's fine. We're we're gonna get more into. All of our opinions on the kits and the reason why we're talking about this or I wanted to talk about it because I'm I'm a, I'm a really big kit critiquer is all these leaks that are coming out out of MLS clubs or, you know, if they release. I mean, it's not all leaks, but we're seeing a lot more kits come out in the recent weeks from MLS and they're not exactly the most bold, to say the least. We have New York Red Bull's home kit, kind of has like a little checker design. Uh, DC United's, which, you know, you're talking about having a soft spot. I do kind of like DC United's kit. I, I do like uh, the, the the little blue at the end of the sleeve. The, the marble kind of looks nice. I mean, for, for an all white kit, as many kits beginning in 2018 and 2019 go, you know, most of those kits are white. You know, for DC United, it's, it's it's not bad. Austin FC's is also pretty much. It's it's a white T-shirt. LAFC is kind of has like that that beige, beige off-white kind of going. Uh, so yeah, all, all these kits are pretty pretty boring. I mean, RSL's also has some like uh fun designs kind of in the the background of it. Jack, you know, what's your favorite of these uh all white T-shirts? Oof. Uh, well.
1: It comes between two of them because I love the DC United one because of the red, white, and blue, perfect yeah, for the yeah. capital. But, you know, the RSL kit, I'm not a huge fan of RSL, I've got to say. They're not my favorite team because it it's super tough to play there and all that kind of uh-huh. stuff. But the design on, on it right. is actually really nice. And it reminds me of Chelsea's... 2019 to 20 kit where they had like, um, the designs of like the architecture around Stamford bridge around it. This looks very similar. It has uh salt Lake around, uh, in words around there, kind of cut off by some mountains, which I think is really well done for that kit. So my, my vote would be for RSLs. All
0: right. Yeah. So, so those kits are away kits other than New York Red Bulls, who has a white home kit. Uh, We also have Atlanta United's. I've seen a lot of flack for this on Reddit and on Twitter. It takes their kind of five stripes red and black design and just makes the five red stripes really thin, puts in the middle. It's like five stripes turned into five lines, basically. It's not all that inspiring. It's like a black t-shirt with some red marker just down the middle. I'm not a really big fan of it, but the one that really grinded my gears was Inter Miami's new Away kit. It's, it's a black shirt with some design imprint that you can't really see if you're just going to look at it straight on. In fact, in this picture, I can't even really see it at all. And for such a supposedly exciting club, it's, it's really not that exciting. But there are also some kits that I thought were, were pretty good. And I'm going to mention this before I go into kind of the history of the kit designs. I also want to get your opinions on these ones, Jack. We have LA Galaxy Throwback Away Kits, the green and black. NYCFC's, you know, kind of a uh, Man City Blue, I suppose, with, with some nice white accents. Uh, we have Austin FC's kind of green and black home kits. In Philadelphia Union's really bold, electric city kind of uh, design with uh, their alternate kits. You got, you know, some lightning bolts and stuff. I, I thought that was pretty bold and interesting. Uh, Jack, w- we went over the plane kits. What do you think about these more well, colorful kits?
1: Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm personally not as big of a fan of these. I know it's oh, strange, wow. but okay. I, I mean, the NYCFC kit makes sense, you know. It's the same blue as Man City because they're owned by the same company. Yeah. That makes sense. The Austin FC one is pretty nice. I do, I do like that one, but I, I I'm not a huge fan of the Philadelphia Union one. I, Okay, why, I why is it, that? The colors why is that? just feel like they clash a ton, and it just—I I, get why, I get why they went for something bold, and I appreciate them doing it, but it's just not something— that I would want to be wearing, you know, like that, that's, that's the thing. It's, it's a bit too, it's a bit too much on the eyes, I guess, is the, is the way to put it.
0: Okay. Yeah. No, I, I understand that. I feel like if I, cause I, I definitely want to get this like eventually, maybe not this year. Uh, but I want to get it eventually, but I feel like if you were to wear it, it always feel like you're at a fashion show or something. Like you always, you have to plan around the shirt. You can't just throw it on. Cause if you, if you you just throw it on you're gonna attract attention yourself like you gotta be ready to have eyes on you so so i get it i get it but you know the question that we want to be asking like the the big picture question is how did kits end up this way like a lot of people maybe not jack but a lot of people are pretty against these plain kits they want something exciting like austin fc like nyc fcs like philadelphia unions so you know how did we get here Well, and and Jack, I'm going to tell you a little story about a small company. You might not have heard about it called Adidas. Ever Mm -hmm. heard of it?
1: Uh, No, you know, I've heard of Adidas, but never Adidas. Oh, yeah.
0: Adidas. I'm sorry. Yes. So Adidas makes a lot of templates that are pretty cut and paste. Most expansion teams like Austin FCs go through the design process really, really early, like years and years in advance, like the second that they get announced as a team. So if their kits turn out bland, which, you know, they kind of did, the home kit was all right. They still have a passable reason for that being the case, you know, but recently, you know, we've had more boring kits in the nineties. They were, they were crazy and bold, but in the 2010s and the 2020s, it's like a minimalist art exhibition. Uh, And that's because the design process starts up to two years in advance. Teams work with Adidas to create a simple brief, like a, a, a simple letter that they send that describes kind of the, the, the direction, the story that they wanna tell through their kits. And some teams have large design staff that per, put a lot of work working in, in, in cahoots with Adidas, and others, their design staff is pretty minimal. Now, I, Jack, I want, you, I want you to look at a picture I put into the doc featuring DC United's cherry blossom concept. So in DC United uh, in 2018, they had this idea for cherry blossoms on their jerseys. And the front office didn't want to take the chance of having like this crazy, crazy design. Cause you know, it, it is kind of out there. They have they literally have pink blossoms on the, the stripes of the, of the jersey. They have some uh, pink accents for the socks and the shorts. You know, the front office and the people up top in D.C. United, they didn't want to be that loud that that's out there. So they went with plain white jerseys. And Jack, what do you think about this jersey that that I put right in front of you?
1: Well, I think I think it's kind of nice because, you know, cherry blossoms. If you've ever been to Washington, D.C. in the spring or around April, more like you, you notice all of these beautiful cherry blossom trees that are. Just like the petals are starting to fall everywhere. And I think it showcases a really good part and identity almost of the city. Because when I think of Washington, D.C., one of the things I do think about instantly, besides government, uh, is, you know, the cherry blossoms. And I think this is a really good example of where taking a risk might have paid off in in this case. And uh, where, you know, a little bit of something out there is really tasteful.
0: Okay. Well, like I said before, they went with an all white jersey. Now, Jack, I want you to tell me what you think happened. Do you think <laughs> do you think A, a lot of fans bought the jersey or B, a lot of fans didn't buy the jersey?
1: For the for the new for the new kit like the one they went with, I'm going to go with um not a lot of fans bought the jersey.
0: Yes, you are correct. In fact, a lot of fans when they found out that this was a possible option got really, really upset. And, you know, this tells the story of MLS executives not putting a lot of faith in their in-house design team. In fact, from an article published by Pablo Mar of The Athletic, you know, senior designers who were involved with multiple kit proposals said, quote, instead of, you know, putting faith in their design team, they're putting faith in a designer in Adidas in Germany who is fearlessly Googling the local iconography of Columbus, Ohio. So they're turning their backs on people who live in that city, who design for the team, and instead putting more faith into people who are very far off in terms of understanding the actual city. So teams are choosing the safe route. And people who aren't designers are too worried about being marketable or safe and we see this with DC United, we see this with other teams. People like owners and front office members are putting their own input into the design and not just the designers. That's a pretty big issue that, that is part of the reason why these kits turn out so plain because a lot of the time people who are more into marketing and into that side of the game are putting too much of their, their stamp on the design process. Uh, but also, Adidas is having a league wide effect on the jerseys. Adidas creates the jerseys, and last year's, they had this kind of league wide motif called art in soccer. All the jerseys, and Jack, I, I, I think you, you would have noticed this too, had paintbrush, pencil drawings, or other art style motifs. Like Minnesota United's had a wing that kind of had like, you know, pencil drawings, it looked like a pencil drew it. L.A. Galaxy, their sash looked like it was a, a paintbrush that painted it. Mm-hmm. And so when we look at what's causing all these jerseys to kind of look similar, well, A, it's a lot of people wanting to play safe. And B, it's these, it's Adidas because they have the jersey rights for the entire league kind of stepping in and saying, like, hey, we got this. We'll take it from here. We kind of want to do this like whole league thing. I think we'll think it'll be interesting But it creates homogenous designs, and they're taking it even further. I literally just learned about this today. Adidas is actually not letting clubs have any input, any one-on-one input on the jersey design for 2022 next season. So whatever it is next season, other than, you know, a small brief, Adidas has complete control on what the jerseys look like. So... I don't know. I, I think that'll be interesting. That's, that's kind of the history of the kit design, what goes into it, and what are the possible causes for MLS kits being quote-unquote boring. But now we're going to talk about kind of the issues about it. If, if they're issues at all, I know Jack said it actually might be a strength. I do want to hear your side of the story, Jack, because I've been talking way too long. Why do you think that these, you know, plainer, more conservative kits... Might be a good thing for the league.
1: Well, there's a few reasons. Uh, one is just a more practical one, uh, especially since a lot of these happen to be secondary kits. Like, right you you want the home team to generally be playing in their home kit when they're mm-hmm. at home. So you need something that's going to contrast with that. So having a sort of you know unified one as like it being white makes it easy to make sure that there's a clear distinction uh, from that. Right, okay. Because, uh, you know, you kind of see this in other American sports leagues too, right? Like the NFL, their jerseys, like their away jerseys, are usually white on on whatever their main color is, like the Minnesota Vikings. Their normal one is purple, but their away Mm -hmm. kit is white and then some purple lettering. So it makes it very clear which side is the away side and which side is the home side, which, you know, it... It, it makes it very consistent with those sorts of brands. And then the other thing is, and it kind of goes back to what you said about the Philadelphia Union kit, how it's, how it's kind of like, you know, you can't just throw it on and you can't, and you have to kind of plan around it, right? I think it kind of goes with that to make some of these kits more everyday kind of things, because uh, uh, like, you know, if you go too bold with some of them, you're not going to see people like, uh, you know, wearing them all around or like uh, wanting to wear them at anywhere but games. But if you go with some more like uh, I'm trying to, conservative design, this is probably the right way to put it. You're going yeah. to get a lot more people who are potentially thinking, oh, this is a pretty nice shirt that is pretty modest. I can wear it out and it will go with almost ever anything I'm wearing. And because mm-hmm. of that, it's going to get a lot more visibility and potentially bring in a lot more people. And I I know, like, the kit sales haven't necessarily reflected that, but I think the other thing with that is the secondary jerseys aren't going to be the ones that people are going to be buying a ton, like, every single year. It's more going to be the home kit that changes more often and people mm-hmm. are going to be buying. And I think the secondary kit can serve somewhat of a purpose like that for getting more people into the door watching soccer and thinking, oh, that's a cool, that's like a, you know, that looks pretty nice with everything. Maybe it, maybe it's worth watching them, maybe pick up a kit or something like that. And, but I do want to say before I close off this thing about why it might not be a sure. problem is if Adidas takes complete control over kit design, I think that would be terrible. Because, sure. well, yeah, even though they, I do think that the sort of unified, somewhat bland design might be good in some instances giving no control to the people who know the city's best is an absolute disaster disaster in waiting in my opinion
0: mm-hmm. It
1: you can't just give this away to executives especially if you want the kits to reflect your club's identity like secondary kits should i don't think are necessarily about taking risks third kits yes if you're making a third okay. kit, definitely taking risks is uh, a benefit, like Chelsea's, for example, which their third kit looks like a Crystal Palace kit, but whatever. Uh, but then the the secondary kit is kind of supposed to be conservative, but your home kit should reflect your identity. And by giving that away, I think that would be a terrible mistake by MLS clubs.
0: Okay. Well, yeah, I was going to ask you actually about the third kit. So... so- uh I think only Atlanta United is getting a third kit. But given your your stance on secondary kits, I'm guessing you would be pretty pretty for third kits being wild and crazy. Is that yeah, is that what I, I'm getting?
1: I I'm I'm not going to lie, most of my most of my kits that I actually have are third kits because okay. I I do I do like some of those more for like the collector side of things. Like if I'm wearing one, I prefer to wear a secondary kit, but if I'm, yeah. if I'm just, like, collecting them because I think they look nice, then it's usually third kits. Like, Atletico's third kit, I know it's not an MLS uh, kit, but their third kit from 19 to 20 was super nice, and I picked that up, and same with Chelsea's. Like, I, I really like some of the third kits and how they take more creative liberties with that, because, yeah. you know, it's, it's an opportunity to do it. You know, the team's not going to be wearing it too often, so it's not as big of a risk if it's, like, not everyone's favorite, but it's a good opportunity to give fans who want that more wild and crazy kit the chance to get one. You know, I'm, I'm all for adding more consumer choice in terms of like, Mm -hmm. in terms of soccer apparel.
0: Yes. Well, you know, I I do understand what you're saying, like, especially up on the, 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 the topic of having to have kind of more conservative design just because it makes sense because you need to, you need to have that contrast with the home kit, and you brought up like the Minnesota Vikings and you know the NFL. That does make sense. I will say, you do not have to go to an extreme of a plain white shirt because if you look at away kits, like I-, I like New York Red Bulls, where it it was uh at one point I don't know if it's the way now, but they had like a a, a blue away kit with yellow. That was that was pretty exciting. I, I know Barcelona uh PSG and Manchester United like all these like really big teams they seem to always have pretty good away kits. I think that's an interesting take on an away kit where it creates a, an obvious contrast uh from their normal red but you know it still kind of has a little artistic intent in it. And that's why I think MLS is kind of kind of playing it too safe almost. They're they're not taking enough liberties. And making a statement like these other big teams. I look at Inter Miami, headed by David Beckham. Beckham went safe with Miami both last year and this year. Last year, it was their expansion season. So, you know, they could have a pass because, again, with Adidas, the process starts way before they have a real choice in it. But now they went just plain black. And they need to go just full balls to the wall like you are the only pink team in MLS you you say that you're the stylish multicultural team you're building this like international brand and you go with black and white like like, like the the home kit is white I believe and the way kit is black like that's that's great that's cool but it's not actually creating any brand like you go he went with a jersey that's whiter than the state of Nebraska. Like, oh why God. are you doing? That? Why why are you doing that? If the, you, these teams are trying to claim to be sexy and cool, and they they try to say that they represent the city they play in, but when it comes to designing their kids, they do a complete one eighty. They go from saying, you know, yeah, we're like we're hip, we're cool, we're the we're the life of the party, to saying stuff like, you know, please forget about me, you know we got dragged to the party and we don't want to be here that's what these white kids are like uh, like saying to us so i want to bring up an example let's let's rewind the time before covid and let's talk about the 2018 world cup there's some pretty pretty interesting kits there there're also some kind of uh boring kit not, not boring but template kits a lot of jerseys like england and france weren't necessarily the same, and I know you might have trouble coming to terms with this, but, you know, France and England, they had pretty similar kit design from, like, a, a very basic standpoint. Do you agree with that? Yeah, they, they, they were
1: very similar, yeah. Okay.
0: Now, Nigeria.
1: Have you seen Nigeria? Yes, uh, I've seen, okay. I've seen the, is it the green and white?
0: Yeah, like, the, the crazy, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. designs. I want you to guess the the ranking of how much that jersey sold in terms like the 32 teams, like 1 through 32, where they ended up selling. For a team in Africa, a team that has never gotten past the round of 16, so not like a a superpower in world soccer, how high do you think they got in terms of that ranking?
1: Given how you're leading into this, I'm going to guess that it's either at the top or very near the top.
0: It is very near the top. It is it is fifth, and the ones that are beating it are, I guess you can you can probably assume it's like France and like those types of countries. But for Nigeria to be up there is insane. And why you may ask? It's because the design is crazy. It's bold and it's cool. And they really made a mark. People were talking about the Nigerian kids. People were talking about the Nigerian team. You know, people who would not give a give any Attention to Nigeria as a footballing country gave it the time of day because they had this cool jersey. It it brought up ears and eyes from people that don't even follow soccer. And so MLS cannot make its mark if all of it does is play it safe. You didn't like Philadelphia, but I appreciate Philadelphia. I'm not going to get it this year. I might in the future, but Philadelphia went with a crazy design that actually took fan input, incorporated the city's colors its mottos, and its motifs to create an actual bowl design. And so many people are buying it, not even just from Philadelphia, but nationwide. I I went to look at the announcement posts, both on Reddit and on Twitter and on Instagram. It has consistently had more engagement than any other jersey reveal so far. And we see this from other leagues. The lower leagues, like teams like Ford Madison. I know we're both pretty fond of Ford Madison and you know teams around here. Even Minneapolis City here uh, in Minneapolis for NPSL, both of these teams have really, really cool kits. They do a lot of really cool cool things because they get to choose their kit provider, so they can design whatever they want. Good design helps the brand, and it sells jerseys. The iconic kits of MLS teams uh think of Atlanta United's you know OG 5 stripes Seattle Sounders is like rave green Xbox jerseys LA Galaxy sash like the reason why people buy these jerseys is because it actually represents the city and it's something that they can like really hold on to you know you talk about people like wanting to wear these white white jerseys cuz you know it, it can get them it can get them into Soccer, it's, it's a good uh, intro to, you know, jerseys. But time and time again, we see that like, that's not the case. Like, if white jerseys are a way to have a safe option, it's not working because people aren't taking the safe option. People might not want craziness like Philadelphia or Nigeria, but they at least want something that has more, has more heart, has more of the city's soul, Within it, than just white shirt with you know some some soft faded designs in it, and just because you say that it's been inspired by the city, it doesn't actually mean that it's really inspired by the city, and that people will latch onto it. And that's why I, I think the big issue on this topic is people are just not inspired to buy it the same way that these cool. Cool jerseys are inspiring them to buy those. J- Jack, a- a- am, I speaking, am I speaking facts, or am I, am I just lying to your face right now? No,
1: I, I, think, I think a lot of that is a good point. that You, you can't just go safe all the time if you want to grow. But my, I, I still think that you know secondary kits, you want to play it a little bit safe just because you need a safe option of a kit yeah, in, in case yeah. you're playing a away game, so that way, you know, your players can figure out who's on their team. If they're too similar, <laughs> then I, I, I just know from experience in playing FIFA, like online, oh, yeah. that's terrible. If you don't, have, I, I always keep a, a, a nice, plain white kit in there just because I know it'll almost always contrast. So, okay. I, I mean, I, I think that those bland kits still serve a purpose because... If we don't have those, then it could cause chaos on the field. However, I will say that you know you can still do those white kits while making a bit of a statement and actually like making a message uh, one mm-hmm. one big example that comes to mind: eighteen nineteen and seventeen eighteen for Minnesota United. they had a blue sash down the middle, which at first glance you're thinking, "Ah, that doesn't really mean anything, but yeah yeah, yeah. when you when you look at it. And you think about the city, you're like, oh, Mississippi River, the Twin Cities, goes between, Mm -hmm. it goes kind of between them. It works perfectly for that kind of kit. Like adding in those kinds of small accents can be really good and can lead maybe not to as many sales as you would like, but some more. But I I think there has to be a good balance between them because you can't... I mean, you can go all out crazy and it can lead to success in some cases, but I think it's good to have that safe option in waiting just in case you need it.
0: I think we could both agree that MLS should bring back third kits. Yes, 100%. I I would also be okay with, uh, with, you know, some tasteful white kits, but the third kits just be, just be off the chain crazy. I
1: I agree. That would be incredible to see. I, I would like to see that.
0: Before I move on, Minnesota United got a third kit. What do you want it to look like?
1: Uh, I uh, this might this might sound a little strange, but so Minnesota's logo is the target logo because you know, it's located yeah. in there. I would love to see if that middle part of the target logo was worked into like the loon's eye. Okay. I, I think it would it would look kind of crazy and might not work well, but I think it has potential to look Really cool. Like if you had like, you know, the loon kind of poking its head through the target logo. Sure. And like I, I, I don't know. It because we've got we've gotten a wing. I, I want to see the full bird.
0: Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, hey, there, it's a third kit. There's no wrong answer Exactly. That's the thing. That's the beauty about my, them. my vision, and hear me out, is is like Barcelona's kinda like a checkerboard kind of design, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? But instead of red and blue it's like, it's like blue and gray and it goes all around and it's crazy. And I don't know. I, I just think designs like that, that go beyond like stripes or hoops or sashes are even more interesting. That's why I, I tended to like Philadelphia unions and Nigeria's kit. Like I, I thought those were, I thought those were really interesting and yeah, I think just, just make third kits a thing again. Yeah. Those are sick.
1: 100%. They're, they're my favorite kits to buy. They're so cool, and they have so much potential for you to use it. Although I will say, if you're going to make a third kit and you're going to make it boring, don't do it at all. That that's that's the main
0: thing. That 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 is that is true. You you still have to keep in mind that the big problem here is the fact that boring kits just make for boring franchises. And with that, Jack, let's move on to our next worldly topic, talking about. Teams being pretty inconsistent in Europe, take it away. Tell tell us about this.
1: Yeah, well, as we've seen, this season hasn't been normal by any measure. Uh, We've had more injuries. We've had more games postponed because of COVID restrictions. We've had games moved around because of that. And, you know, we've seen a lot of changes. And among that, we've seen a lot of clubs who have historically been doing really well or dominate their leagues just kind of fall behind to sometimes catastrophic levels in some cases you could say and it, it's been very strange to see because if you look at some of the league tables now a lot of them if you had someone who was it who got put in a coma at the beginning of 2019 and <laughs> just woke up would be like the, how far into the future am I because this can't be right. Like you have, yeah. you have Real Madrid in Spain sitting in third and you have, uh you know, Atletico Madrid somehow in first, despite being like 25 points behind Real Madrid yeah. at the end of the season last year.
0: And you have uh, the Premier League places two through eight are only 10 points apart. Yeah. So that's also pretty crazy.
1: Yeah. And then you see like, uh you know, in, in Germany, you see Dortmund in like seventh oh, yeah. or eighth. And in league on PSG, inexplicably, is not in first place. So mm-hmm. it, all around, you're seeing these really inconsistent results. Yeah. But that begs the question, what is causing all of these inconsistency from big clubs? And what does it mean for the game in this season, at least? So AJ, sure. what, what do you think? What, what, what do you think is causing all this inconsistency?
0: What I what, what I think is happening, and before I, I even say that, you know, we're talking about people will, waking up in a coma. I think their first concern is going to be why is everyone wearing masks. True. True. And then they're going to be talking about why are Liverpool lower than West Ham. Right. Close I think, second. I think that's close second. Th- yeah, that's the second question. But what I think is causing this is the reason why everyone's wearing masks. COVID nineteen. COVID nineteen is affecting pretty much every facet of the game from the finances to the actual players. And I, I broke this down into five sections into like how it's getting affected. And so I'll, I'll just rattle them off and we can talk about it more in depth. Uh, the preseason being super shortened uh, because of the the fast turnaround time from last season to this season has made it hard to really sharpen tactics and sharpen uh match readiness. Uh the late start also has caused a lot of match congestion and I think this is a really really big one. The late start has caused a lot of match congestion and is causing fatigue, causing long-term injuries which is pretty bad. And uh, you know, in addition to this, uh people are falling to COVID and the all the match congestion means that they miss even more games because they have to quarantine for uh 2 weeks which in the past might be only 2 games now it's 4 that makes it very very difficult to bounce back from that uh number 3 clubs can't afford replacements due to covid-19 finances uh number 4 a, a lot of clubs are going through manager turmoil right now which means there's a lot of uh a lot of challenges that m- new managers would have to face that most managers would not actually you know, face in a normal time, such as all these coronavirus problems. And number five, obviously, I said this before, but I think it deserves its own uh, section. People just get COVID-19 and are out. That obviously affects the game so much. That's how I see it. How do you see it personally?
1: Well, I think a lot of those are, you pretty much nail it on the head with most of those, but I do want to talk about one of those real quick. Number four, about, like, manager turmoil and inconsistency sort of with that as well. Yeah. I think that might be more reverse, uh, the reverse cause right there. Like, that's not really a cause of the inconsistency more than it is a result of... So the
0: inconsistency is causing manager turmoil. Right.
1: Because, uh, you know, inconsistency leads to, one, manager turnover, as we've seen in so many places throughout... Uh, Europe, not just my team Chelsea, but you've seen West Brom go through it. You've seen uh, a ton Dortmund. of Dortmund. You've seen a ton of Serie A outfits. I think Torino might be on their. It's either Torino or Genoa that are on their third or fourth manager in is in like twelve oh, wow. months, and uh, in league on you've seen it. So I think a lot of it has to do. I I think that might be the other way around, but it it could be both ways for uh as well, but. I do want to talk about one other thing, and okay. it only applies to a few clubs, I think. But uh, it has to it has to be talked about management in front uh, in the front office because mm-hmm. there is a lot of that, and it can bleed onto the pitch. It, in some cases, it doesn't. Like with your team, West Ham, we started the season talking off saying like, "Ah, uh, it's not looking good over there." And, and Jack, then-
0: tell the viewers where you put West Ham in the beginning of the season.
1: Well, you know, I was about twelve places off. I put them yeah. in seventeenth. So, and I, AJ, I don't think you had them much higher.
0: I I think I had them at like at twelfth or thirteenth. So, I I had I had mid table aspirations, and it turned into European dreams. So, which is also the name of uh, of my new best selling book. I call that one. I call that one.
1: Okay. Okay. I'll let you have it. I'll let you. Have okay. It. You know, the front office management uh, affects a lot of clubs, even smaller level clubs but it it applies to a very few I feel like in in some of this but uh just to name a few Dortmund and Barcelona are two of the ones that come straight to mind when I think of management and finances uh Barcelona more so than Dortmund but sure yeah uh it, it it is a major part of the inconsistency and that's just been one of the things that's been happening for a long time that is outside of the COVID bubble, I guess you can say, of causes. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I, I would actually argue that Barcelona, while not completely caused by COVID-related causes, because, you know, we, we have seen turmoil around their, their now ex-presidents and all their board before COVID, but you know a lot of it can be attributed back to coronavirus and its effects. We have them not being able to maybe afford replacements. I imagine that going into the season, especially in January, they probably wanted to do some replacing of their back line, as we see today with their game against PSG. That back line, aside from Sergino Dest, you can take out pretty much all of them and get better replacements, and this, this Barcelona team looks insanely better but they can't do that because of coronavirus. Uh, there's also been you know, more match congestion, which makes it hard for Barcelona, considering that they're expected to go deep into all these different competitions. So you know, there is something to say about pretty much any team that's going through turmoil. In some little way, their inconsistency is caused by these COVID-19 causes.
1: Well, yeah, and also with Barcelona, though, I think it, it has to be a mix of them. You're, you're right, uh, especially, like, if you look at Luis Suarez, because he was right. let go because of a few things. One is finances, right? And then the other thing is also just front office turmoil and, say, and, like, a new manager and saying, like, oh, we don't need him. And then they weren't able to replace him. I mean, they replaced him with Martin Braithwaite, which is such a downgrade. I, yeah. I can't. I can't even. I can't even state overstate that enough. Like that is a huge downgrade. But uh, I. I think that you can't really talk about Barcelona struggling without talking about the management issues yeah. at the same time. I think you're probably right. COVID probably takes around seventy uh, percent of the blame. But I think a good chunk of that thirty percent, right, is that front management. That's front bad. office management. All
0: right. Well. I want to I talk about... Well, first of all, do you have any other potential causes of this?
1: Any other potential causes that I can think of? I mean, it could also be... Th- this one might be a little bit less prevalent, but just players not feeling like this is a real season. Yeah. Which I, I know sounds really vague, but just the idea that there's no fans in stadiums right yeah. now...
0: I was actually going to bring it up. Yeah,
1: has to do a lot with the consistency and inconsistency. Because, for example, like Anfield, we've talked about this for a few weeks now. That it's it used to be this massive fortress. But why was it a fortress in the first place? The fans. Without the fans, there it's really nothing. It, it's just any other stadium, with maybe uh, grass that the team is more used to playing on. Which is <laughs>
0: yeah. which
1: isn't saying much. Like I mean, it's grass. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, it, it's, it's just like, it, it, that, that has to be a part of it, too, because no fans, it, it affects everyone. It affects the psychology of players. I talked a few weeks ago about a story in a study uh, that was being done about the psychological effects on having no fans in the stadium for players. Yeah, And I think because of that, a lot of the intensity of the play is gone, and because of that, players feel like it's more of a scrimmage Mm -hmm. so i think that that is one of the other
0: major causes it's well first of all i want to say it's grass is my favorite jack quote (laughs) on this podcast so far and second of all do you think that that not having fans in the stadium which i'll be honest completely slipped my mind until now is that a big enough category to include it with the the six or five or six topics that we have right now
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, so many of these teams rely on this idea of the 12th man. And uh-huh. you you think about the culture of some of these teams and some of these stadiums. Like, for example, Dortmund, when you think of them, one of the first things you might think of beyond like their amazing players is the yellow wall.
0: The yellow wall, yeah.
1: And without that, you're missing such a dedicated base of fans that are there no matter what, that are just cheering you on and getting you to get that last goal that you need to win or whatever. And same with Liverpool and Anfield. And, I mean, not so much Manchester City, but, uh, <laughs> you, know, you know, psychologically, it changes the mentality of how players play and also because the culture is just completely changed. So I think it has to be included.
0: Yes, I agree. So, yeah, I, I, think, I think we covered... Uh not having fans in the stadium pretty well but I want to go maybe a little bit more deep into the the covid related causes cuz Cause, you know doing a lot of research I found that a lot of managers and players just hate this season for 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 a lot of different reasons uh when we talk about preseason and the non-existent preseason you know affecting tactical sharpness we had Mourinho of Spurs say that people had to quarantine all throughout preseason and players like Harry Kane were only able to train once or twice with the full team. And because of that, yeah, like, you're, you're not going to be very good, obviously. Uh, Jack, do you think that this... How, how much do you think that not having a preseason can attribute to teams like, let's say, Liverpool or Arsenal, Spurs even, you know, talking about Mourinho, how much does that affect their inconsistency?
1: Well, I think that it's a smaller portion than a lot of the other causes we've talked about. Just because uh, the gap between the seasons was right. so low, like for players in the Bundesliga, for example, this is just the length of like the winter break normally is for them. Sure. So it doesn't seem like as big of a deal, although, albeit for one big reason. Which is injuries. Uh, the lack of a longer preseason means that there is a lot less time for players to get back to fitness, and uh, a lot less opportunity to recover in those instances. In those instances, in a low stakes environment like with preseason friendlies, right. So I think that is a larger portion than just there not being as much of a preseason. I mean, obviously it can still affect some players especially newer players who are coming in oh yes and like you know you could kind of see it in chelsea's squad honestly Mm -hmm. like in in their first few games like against brighton they won 3-1 but they looked pretty inconsistent throughout it because of that lack of a preseason to kind of make a cohesive squad and then after that had a terrible game against liverpool like that was great one of the worst games of the season i would say uh i mean no Ars- losing to Arsenal three one was the worst, but uh, th- it was pretty bad, and I think a lot of that has to do with not being able to to synchronize as a team. Yeah, and I I, th- I think that's the biggest factor with that.
0: Yeah, I, I think I, I think that Chelsea is the poster child of not having enough preseason affecting their season, and just to piggyback off you talking about. Injuries that I was just going to talk about that, you know, when we talk about uh, in reason number three, the late start causing a lot of match congestion, causing fatigue and long term injuries, I'm going to read you the stat three months ago in December at that point in the season, which was like what, maybe 16, 17 games into the season, we saw a 23% increase in muscle injuries compared to the same time in 2019. And that number has only grown since then. We had, we had Lovren saying that the reason why there are so many injuries is because players have so many games to play in such little time, especially in the last two months, in England especially, FA Cup, League Cup, League matches, and makeup matches for the games that they got, that got canceled due to COVID. And now we're going into Champions League. If you don't have a deep squad, or you know, for some other leagues, if you don't have a winter break, you're screwed. And coaches like Steve Bruce of Newcastle are denouncing this schedule, denouncing the season after losing a lot of his players. Because players like uh, KDB, Van Dyke, Mateep, Zaha, Lampty, Tierney, Calvin Lewin, Vardy, Kane, Antonio, Wilson, Pogba, Southampton's entire team, Jimenez, <laughs> they've, all, they've all suffered uh, different types of injuries. But a lot of that can be attributed to how many matches they're playing. Maybe not maybe not Jimenez, because he yeah. had a, a concussion. Well, but, he had a fractured skull. Yeah, worse than a concussion. But you know, for, for a lot of the others, it's hamstring tears. It's ACL tears. It's a, a lot of these muscle issues that might not pop up if we had an actual balanced season. And that's really hard to overcome for teams. I mean, look at Liverpool. The second Van Dyke went down thanks to, uh, thanks to Everton's goalkeeper, it, it, it was over for him. It was over for Liverpool, to be honest, because, because these muscle injuries, these long-term muscle injuries, cause so much turmoil within the squad and trying to rebalance that for a lot of these teams, it just becomes impossible until they come back. And that's I think we can attribute that to... We can attribute this to you know Liverpool's inconsistency, some other teams' inconsistency as well. Am I on the right track here, Jack? Yeah. It,
1: I think that there's a lot of mix with it, but I think you're definitely right that a lot of the increase has to do with the, uh, with the congested schedule, because you've got, you've got players like um, Hacking Ziyech, for example, for Chelsea, who... He was out with a hamstring injury at the beginning of the, of the season because of the one preseason game we played, he, he hurt his knee really badly in that one. And then after that, he didn't have enough time to really fully recover. And because he played like two 90-minute games in a row that, within a week, he went down again with another knee injury. Right, And, you know, it, if you're not giving players time to recuperate, then you're not giving, like, there's no chance that you're going to have any consistency. Because, especially if you have, like, big players like that, who you know you need to integrate into the squad, if you're trying to rush them too much, or you're trying to get them ready and still playing them too much, then it's all over. And uh, I I think, like, that it's definitely a big portion of this, uh, of a lot of the inconsistency.
0: Yeah, you know, we're, we're seeing this the world over in Europe and in other leagues here in the Americas and beyond that, that I think, I think this might be the biggest reason why we're seeing so much inconsistency, but another big one, just to rattle this one off. Cause I think it's pretty self-explanatory uh, clubs can't afford replacements for these injured players or for just holes in their squad. Uh, January was the lowest spending January window in the premier league since 2011, 2012. Uh, Premier League clubs spent only 70 million euros, down from 230 million euros the previous January. Clubs like Liverpool didn't splash cash. They went to the lower leagues or, like, like other clubs, they went for loans. We saw a lot of loans. Uh, just off the top of my head, we had Real Madrid loaning off Odegaard to Arsenal. Would we see Arsenal go for that move or would we see them go for a permanent transfer instead? You know, I would probably lean towards a permanent transfer because of this money strap times they went for a loan and that's why clubs like Sheffield United are struggling like Liverpool are struggling like Southampton when they're missing their entire team sometimes you know that's why they are struggling so we see that too but Jack I'm going to ask you how could we fix this is is that too much of a big question or like like how do how do leagues and teams deal with this?
1: Well, I think one of the bigger things that leagues need to adopt, and most of them have, except for one who's been very yes. stubborn about
0: it. I know what, you, I know what you're talking
1: about. Uh, the five substitutes rule. Why is it gone in the Premier League? That makes no sense whatsoever. The fixture congestion, if anything, compared to Project Restart, is worse. And it makes sen- it makes no sense, I should say. That you somehow decided to just reduce the amount of substitutes that you're going to accept in these games, and I don't know why you would take this oppor- you would take this opportunity to say, "Oh yeah, everything's better now and and then try and go back to what you think it should be, because it's putting more players in danger of getting hurt, And when you're able i I understand the argument from some of these clubs, especially some smaller ones, like you know. Southampton, Sheffield United, West Brom, Fulham, maybe, as well, included in there. Uh, you might not have as deep of a squad, and you can say, oh, that gives it another team an advantage. But I will say this to that. There is no discrimination between your squad depth and injuries. If you're going to have a yeah. lot of fixtures being played, you're going to get a lot of injuries. And that, that should be the thing that you're looking at. Not like, oh... That gives like teams like Chelsea and Manchester United a big advantage. It gives every team an advantage because you're able to look out for player welfare a lot yeah. more.
0: I, I will say like we lost Mikel Antonio really we're, we're still without him. I, I do have to wonder if we had five subs a game and we could sub him off. Would we still have him playing right now? I think probably. Yeah. And I think. Having Mikel Antonio right now offsets any advantage that playing Liverpool with two additional subs would bring. Uh, some other advantages that, or some other solutions to these problems, I think, come more in a bigger role. Uh, no international games. I think we talked about COVID, but I think international friendlies right now, you might as well not play. I'm like, yeah. players are tired at least March, maybe, maybe in June when we have like the June friendly window. Okay. I know the Euros and gold cup and whatnot are coming up, but you know, look out for the players turning all competitions into single leg competitions. We spoke about this last week. We don't know why champions league is double legged right now, but even like the Copa del Rey and uh Copa Italia being double legged in the semifinal. Why? Like, yeah, it, why? Just uh, play it in
1: a neutral venue.
0: Exactly. Or just, just do it what how you guys have been doing it for the other rounds and just draw a home side. Whatever. Yeah. Coin flip feeding. Uh, yeah. A better recovery strategies. This is more team based. Uh if teams still aren't going towards sports science and dedicated nutritionists and things like ice bats and uh dedicated nutritional plans for players now's the time I, I read some articles about some teams like still being stuck in their ways a lot of the big teams have thankfully gone the way of the future but some haven't and the big one that i'll mention before we wrap up is maybe not in the control of a lot of teams but just having deeper squads we talked about man city being very very good uh earlier in the monday episode but the reason why they're going to win the premier league and let's face it they are going to win the premier league yeah is because even despite all these problems, the inconsistency that could be caused by injuries, by, uh, by fatigue, by not having enough preseason, it's offset by having just players that can step up. You got Stone stepping up. You have, you have uh Gunduan or however you Gundam how are you pronounce his name? Gunduan whatever. Uh, you have uh all, all these players on all sides of the pitch for City stepping up because they have a deep enough squad to deal with it. I think that's the same thing with teams like Bayern, teams like 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 Atleti, teams like PSG as we see kind of coming up now and I think they'll they'll really push for the title late in the season. But having that deep squad and a, a, a really really good bench can take them far. Now, they can't aff- no nobody can afford to replace all of their bench players in one window, so it's not really something that they can control. But, you know, that is the reason why Man City has been so dominant. That is the reason why all these teams have been really dominant. Jack, am I missing anything?
1: And In terms of, like, what you can do to improve, I I don't think there there's that much, except I don't know why this wasn't, like, really discussed maybe, but, like, you know, maybe give like more breaks if it makes the season go a little bit longer than expected like i think the the premier league at the halfway point should have given like a one to two week break like they really should have just instituted something like okay recovery period even though it's not enough for like long-term injuries but giving players a rest because this is just damaging for player welfare and i think that they should be utilizing breaks a lot more even if it means you finish up like a week or two later okay whatever just plan around it then i i i feel like that they could do so much more and take a much more active role in doing that just by making a few breaks here and there
0: yeah you know instead of doing that their winter break was the exact opposite they actually added games right Team, teams were playing like three four games in like in like 11 12 days it, it was it was very very damaging for the players and it makes you think like hey maybe we just don't have a league Cup this this year so we can just fit as much league games in more sensible places instead of cramming it all in January and February and December it was, it was fun viewing for the viewers but you know for the for the players and for the fans of the teams that lost those players. Not great. Right. All right. Well, that is our discussion on those two topics. I think I think we went pretty in-depth on all of those. What do you think, Jack?
1: Yeah, I think I think it was really interesting to hear your thoughts about especially the kits because I I don't know <laughs> I don't normally think too much about the design of the kits. It's just like if I like them, I'll buy them and that's about it. Uh and it was interesting to hear a little bit more about the history of those.
0: Yeah. And I I thought it was pretty interesting to to think really deeply into how COVID-19 is affecting the game and what it means for, you know, the future and how we how we deal with all this congestion. And with that, Jack, do you have anything to say to our viewers at home?
1: Well, as always, make sure to check out our Twitter, at Final Third Show. Uh, it's growing on there pretty fast. We're getting a lot of good conversations going, and we'd love to have you... Uh, whoever you are listening, joining in on those conversations with us. Uh, it's really fun to do that, and it helps give us some ideas for what to talk about in our episodes sometimes. So uh, if you want to potentially be a part of that, make sure to check it out. And uh, other than that, I mean, you know, that, that's all I really have to say.
0: All right, yeah. Follow our Twitter, it and that should be in the show notes down below. Don't forget to give this podcast a follow wherever you listen to it to give a rating on Apple Podcasts. We've been we're still at all 5 stars. So let's keep that <laughs> let's keep that going. Um uh, yeah. That's all we have here at the final third. Don't forget to check us out next week next Monday for the news and predictions show and tell a friend if you like the podcast, tell your dad, even And we'll see you guys for the Thursday Deep Dive. Same place, same time. See ya.